Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. Well, today I want to spend a few minutes talking about criticism and accuracy in criticism, because there's a lot of criticism on the news, TV, there's a lot of talking heads giving their opinion. And a lot of this is criticism. This is um, Joe Rogan said this, um, Whoopi Goldberg said that. And it's important, I think, to be accurate, you know, uh, not just on what somebody said, but their analysis of their argument. So they, they're, a lot of times they're making arguments and they don't state their premise, and the premise is kind of built into the argument, but a lot of times the premise is false. And I think this is, a, is something that happens a lot in the media. And I wanted to take an episode from Democracy Now!, Amy Goodman's show, and she profiles an author there who wrote a book criticizing uh, the COVID response. And specifically, he criticizes billionaires and some government officials and he names Mitch McConnell and some other people but if you listen carefully he he gives evidence for his opinion and the evidence is actually false uh in in one case uh he brings up the Lancet article and uh and that was proven false over a year ago now so um for those that you don't remember this was the article or the paper, I guess it's really a paper, a peer-reviewed paper that came out and said that hydroxychloroquine was ineffective and even dangerous. And so um, the paper basically was criticizing the use of hydroxychloroquine in conjunction with Zithromax to, in the early stages of um, COVID-19. The problem was that they started the trial after a person was well into uh, the infection and the viral load was too high and and was no longer effective. And the problem with the studies, it showed that that the the product wasn't effective at all, but uh, it's just, it's only effective in the very early stages of getting COVID-19. Now the show Democracy Now!, you know, you know me, I'm not a huge fan of democracy, but uh, it is pretty good on the war and peace front most of the time. But when you get into these economic arguments and um, things of that nature, she does like to bring these people on that like to beat up on billionaires and, and, um, and you know, just demonize them for really just being rich. Um, really not recognizing the other side of the thing that, billionaires, you know, do for the rest of us. And that's produce a lot of inexpensive products that, that improve our lives. So let's listen to Amy Goodman. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and play her intro and, and, and the intro with her guest. 
This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We end today's show looking at a new book detailing how hundreds of thousands of people died from COVID due to decisions of politicians like Mitch McConnell, pharmaceutical conglomerates, and a cabal of billionaires who exploited the pandemic for political advantage and personal enrichment. The book is titled Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers, Accountability for Those Who Caused the Crisis by the nation's John Nichols. Sissy starts off talking about a cabal of billionaires who exploited the pandemic. And, you know, again, I've said this many times, but what makes this possible to the extent that these guys did exploit the American public is government. Government is what makes that possible. Government and these billionaire corporations or corporations run by billionaires, they get together and they hatch up these ideas and then, you know, make America pay. So it's it's not the billionaires themselves that are at fault necessarily. I mean, they're just taking advantage of a situation which almost any reasonable business person would do. Um, but the problem is, is that we've created a system that enables them to do that. And that's really the problem here. All right, let's move on to the author. At the start of the pandemic, back in January and February of 2020, we knew about the shock doctrine. We knew about uh, disaster capitalism. We had learned all of this from uh, Naomi Klein and others. We had a clear picture of it. And yet, as this pandemic played out, we saw all of the worst aspects of disaster capitalism come into play. We saw, first and foremost, corporations and individuals who sought to advance themselves economically and in their share of markets uh, by cashing in on the fear, the, the concern, the crisis itself. We also saw politicians who aided and abetted this process at virtually every turn. So he talks about something here called disaster capitalism. And I think what he means by that is, is just kind of taking advantage of the situation and, and making money. And yet, this is what corporations do, and this is what businesses do. That's they're in business to provide goods or services and make money and, and trade for that. I think the implication, though, is that somehow this is evil. You know, just by doing this, this is evil. They should just do this out of love for their fellow man. And, and the reality is, this just doesn't happen. People act out of self-interest, and that's just human nature. Now, the other thing is capitalism is, is not, the, these people kind of have a caricature idea of capitalism and it's really not that, uh, or free markets. And I don't know, there's, there's a lot to say about that. I don't, I don't think I want to go into it right at this moment, but the other thing is this implication or this, uh, uh, accusation of alliance with government and look, that's that's always happening, and the reason it happens is because government by itself can't really do anything. It needs the free market. It needs these co corporations to actually create something. I'm not a big fan of the mRNA vaccine, but what what is Joe Biden going to do to create that, or even Donald Trump? I mean, these guys don't know how to create that. Even, do even Dr. Fauci, they don't know how to create this stuff. They just know how to tell other people what they can and can't do with it which is stupid. But anyway, but the market itself is, is amazing. I mean, if you just 
take this mRNA vaccine in a vacuum, you know, not, not the fact that it's experimental or any of that, but just the fact that, that it can be created and the science behind it and everything, it's, it's pretty miraculous. I mean, the market has given us something very miraculous. Now, I have problems with it. It's experimental. The government's trying to force us to take it. I mean, that's, a, that's probably the biggest problem I have with it. So this is the key point I'm trying to make. He, he actually says something that's true, but then he backs it up with something that's utterly untrue. So he starts talking about how these, all these deaths were avoidable. And he, that's true. They, they were avoidable, but not for the reasons he's trying to state. What he's, what he's trying to say is that a bunch of deaths happen because of all this information about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin came out and led people to select those kinds of treatments over the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines. That's not true. That's not true at all. The end result is that there is simply no question that hundreds of thousands of people who died in the United States did not have to die. Uh, the Lancet study uh, from around a year ago suggests that roughly 40% of deaths in the, in the first year of the pandemic were unnecessary. Uh, Dr. Deborah Birx, who was the White House uh, you know, kind of lead on this issue, has suggested that after the first 100,000 deaths, uh, the deaths that came you know, in later in 2020, in 2021 and beyond, uh, were exponentially larger or higher than needed. And I'm going to play a clip from the two guys talking about the Lancet study and how it was uh, the author himself retracted the, the entire paper because of all the problems with it. But what was true about all those deaths is that they were caused primarily from inaction. And it was inaction around offering some of these therapeutics in the early days before the vaccine became available. And so you had these health and human services individuals and bureaucrats basically undermining these repurposed therapeutics to hold out for the vaccine because they had supposedly, maybe, we don't know just yet, but potentially had monetary interest in the vaccines through Pfizer. So, you know, not only do we have greedy corporations, but we got bureaucrats who maybe somehow are being paid or benefiting somehow on the back end on the sale of these, uh, these vaccines that presumably everybody in the world was going to take. So this is the thing to be outraged about, not the fact that, you know, corporations made billions of dollars. I mean, that's what corporations do. There's every, every day there's corporations on TV where they're making billions of dollars. And believe me, you, if you were running one of those corporations and you were making billions of dollars, you'd feel pretty good about yourself. I mean, these, these, most of these products, not this vaccine, but most products that these corporations make are purchased voluntarily. I mean, nobody's putting a gun to their head and, and forcing them to take them or forcing them to buy them. Now, they, the vaccines are an exception. They are putting a gun to your head and saying, you must take this vaccine or else lose your job or you know, be excommunicated from society or don't participate in normal society or whatever the consequence is. And so that is a very different kind of use of the market and use of corporations. And that is given to you by government. 
So the article in The Lancet that I talked about on a show, talking about hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and this sort of observational study across multiple countries, thousands of patients was saying there was no benefit and there may actually have been increased mortality, increased harm. We talked about it. I talked about the downsides of that trial, that it was observational, it was not randomized, and that they were already starting with the sickest people and all the different biases. But this morning, news came out that changed everything. And I reached out to my friend, Dr. Adrian Hernandez, who is the, he's a professor at Duke. He is a cardiologist and he is the director of the Duke Clinical Research Institute, Duke University Clinical Research Institute. And so this doctor does a pretty good job of summarizing the Lancet study and some of the problems with it. Um, and he actually talks about how he was concerned about it when it first came out after he reviewed it. Um, but today he's going to he's going to ask a couple questions of this cardiologist and they're going to talk about the Lancet study and um, some of the problems with it. So again, the Lancet study was discredited because it it just basically the the methodologies and stuff were just not uh, appropriate for what they were trying to do. They were asking the wrong questions. They, they set up the trials. They weren't even trials. They weren't randomized trials. They were just observations. But the observations were based on people taking hydroxychloroquine well after they had gotten the infection. So the infection was in the later stages. And, of course, that it's too late to take it at that point. These are antivirals, and they're, and they're supposed to... Uh, limit the viral replication. Well, if if you're you know if you've got full blown COVID, there's no limiting the viral replication at that point. So, but uh, let's listen just a little bit to their conversation. And they'll switch switch back to uh, Doctor or John Nichols. It's rare that a paper gets retracted this quickly, and the authors actually requested the retraction. So, can you just walk me through? what the paper kind of was saying and then why they retracted it. Uh, Cause that it's just, it's crazy to me. Yeah. So it's actually even bigger. Uh, so actually two papers got retracted on the same day. So one from the, the Lancet that we're talking about for hydroxychloroquine, but also another one from the new England journal of medicine from the same uh, authorship. And so really incredible that something like that could happen but just shows some of the, the challenges for trying to address um, big data, rural data in the setting of a pandemic. People are really trying to get answers and it turns out that uh, what they were using, no one could really understand or validate. So that was a big problem. So the point in really playing this is just to demonstrate that if somebody's talking about the Lancet article at this stage of the game and, and trying to use that as evidence of something, then they're just, they're manipulating the conversation. I suspect the guy, he, he wrote a book early in the pandemic and the Lancet article was still valid. And, you know, he's, he's trying to sell his book, right? But, uh, uh, but you got to watch out for this kind of stuff. So this uh, next question, it really has to do with how did this happen? This is crazy to me because, you know, we do science normally, then the pandemic happens and it seems like we throw everything out the window in this rush to get data, especially when things seem so politicized. So what happened here? Because it seems to me this thing was peer reviewed. It's published in a major, two journals now, New England Journal, different paper, uh, and Lancet. And so what did what happened here? Can you walk me through this, help me understand? Yeah, so I mean, if you think about the, the process, now it normally starts with, you know, what's the question? How do you answer the question? Where the data are? how to validate it, what's the review process, editors say this is good or not, 
And all that time usually takes, honestly, months. But in the setting of COVID-19, you know, people want answers like yesterday. So he kind of takes the high road in answering this question. Uh, but there's a clue to the, I think, the problem in the beginning where he, he says, you know, he talks about the process and he says, what's the question? So the question was, is hydroxychloroquine effective at reducing COVID-19 infection? That's the question. Now, you have to remember at the time, Donald Trump got COVID-19, and he was talking hydroxychloroquine. And you you also have to understand there was a huge push for vaccines. So I think the question was, how do we show hydroxychloroquine is not effective? I think that was probably the question they were trying to answer. And again, I've said this before, but politics poisons everything. We here here we have a, a these are reputable uh, institutions, you know, the Lancet and the New England Medical uh, Medical Journal, and they just destroyed their reputation by you know coming out with some crazy study. And this is what happens during politics. You have to be on guard for it. And I don't know how to you know once everybody gets on one side, it's really hard to combat some of this misinformation. But I think it's ironic that they call what's coming out now misinformation when the whole front side of the pandemic was just nothing but misinformation. All right, we're going to switch back to the Democracy Now! discussion. And so we have this core reality that in the United States alone, hundreds of thousands of deaths occurred that did not have to occur. Globally, it's in the millions. And the U.S. could have played a huge role so, in addressing well, that. So if you could name names, again, we're speaking with John Nichols of The Nation, and his book is coming out now. Uh, that's called Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers. Um, in February 2021, uh, Pfizer uh announced, you write in your book, the company announced it expected to take in $15 billion from vaccine sales during the course of the year. The COVID-19 vaccine now accounting for nearly a quarter of Pfizer's profits. So I think Amy Goodman here is trying to do a follow the money thing. You know, she wants him to name names and she mentions $15 billion in the first quarter. And you can just hear the hyper focus on the, the amount of money. Well, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna manufacture a vaccine for every man, woman, and child on the earth, you know, numbers in the billions of dollars are not out of the question. You know, <laughs> I don't know what she's expecting here, but again, this is not the problem. The problem is, and you can see this with the government's uh, hyper focus on trying to get everybody vaccinated. The 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 problem really is here is that the government is really in li- in league with Pfizer and Moderna and J&J to try to get everybody vaccinated. You know, you don't really see, I don't really see a lot of commercials on TV from Pfizer, t- you know, trying to persuade me to take the vaccine with, you know, data, evidence or whatever. They're not spending money on commercials trying to persuade me to take the vaccine. Nah, they're just using the government to make me take it. And and this is this is a clue. I mean, when look at all the drug commercials we see. You know, they're not using the government to make you take um I don't know. I can't even think of one now. They've all got such weird names, but they're they're running commercials, okay? 
Have you seen any commercials from the, for the mRNA vaccine? Maybe you know some sort of high-tech illustration of how it works and why it's safe and why you should take it? Nah. All you hear is from Dr. Fauci, you know, we should probably consider mandates or we need to do mandates or, you know, the, the OSHA is going to do this mandate or that mandate. All it is is, is is talk about mandates. I don't see any persuasive activity happening with any of these drug companies. They've basically turned over the sale of their product to the government. That's right. And in fact, uh, at the, the end of the year, it turned out to be much more with Pfizer, Moderna, and other companies. Uh, the People's Vaccine Project has estimated that uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and BioNTech are taking in $1,000 a second, uh, $65,000 a minute in profits from these vaccines. So uh, it's, it's just almost uh, jaw-dropping, the amount of money that they're taking in. This has been a, a huge benefit to these companies. These vaccines, which were developed with tremendous amounts of assistance from the U.S. government and from multinational, multilateral groupings. So again, John Nichols is just, he's just beside himself on the amount of money that this corporation is making. But then he, he says, he kind of says something there at the end with government's help and other multinational entities. I don't know, he doesn't say who those are, but so the question, you know, arises out of that. Well, why? Why is the government in so involved in Pfizer's business, so involved in Moderna's business? And, you know, I think we're starting to see that now with the NIH. We're starting to see some of the things they do and all the different experiments that they have and how Fauci doles out money to all these different entities. I mean, basically, they're sitting around dreaming up things to study because, uh, they want to. They want to keep the money flowing. It's a big jobs program, and so, you know, I again, I don't understand the hyper focus on the amount of profit made. That's just what corporations do. They're in business to make money. To me, the more the more focus should be on why is the government involved in that process. I mean, I've worked at corporations, um, you know, several, and I've never had anybody from the government even show their face in any of the corporations I've ever worked at. So why are they so embedded in these particular corporations? That there's very little accountability. There's very little efforts by Congress and by watchdogs uh, outside. There are watchdog groups that have done tremendous work, but by federal and state watchdogs that should be involved here uh, to hold these companies to account and to force them to, A, make their, their vaccines more available and B, to uh, recognize that these excess profits uh, go way beyond the bounds. Well, he's basically asking the government to hold itself accountable. I mean, he's talking about the company, but the government's so embedded in this whole process that, you know, it, it's hard to distinguish one from the other, from the company from the government or from the NIH. The other thing he talks about is, is just the, uh, the need to make the vaccine more available. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This, it, it's all over every news program every day, you know, where you can get the vaccine. Uh, you can go to these mass things that are, you sit in your car and, or you can go to Walgreens or CVS. I mean, every day there's talking about where you can get this vaccine. I don't know what he's talking about, about it not being available enough. I guess he's talking about other countries, but you know, I guess these other countries have reasons for why they're not making it available to their citizens. I don't, I don't know. 
I mean, you have, for example, um, uh, Oxfam uh, saying in 2021, May 2021, so it's beyond that now, COVID vaccines create nine new billionaires with combined wealth greater than the cost of vaccinating the world's poorest countries. Um, John Nichols, President Biden could force this with Moderna because the U.S. taxpayer money was used to develop the vaccine. She's so outraged by, you know, nine new billionaires. So I mean, let me just take you through a thought experiment here for a second. Let's say you're, you're working a job and you're raising a family and you have a house and a couple of cars and you're just plodding along, okay? And some billionaire somewhere goes and buys a 200-foot yacht. Does that have any impact on you whatsoever? <laughs> I mean, does that harm you in any way? No, of course not. Now, the bigger question, you know, and she just kind of, she kind of gives it as a reason for her outrage, but she says, you know, Moderna, the Moderna vaccine was developed with the government's help, with taxpayer money. Well, my question would be, why is that? Again, the company you work at, uh, are you, you know, are you, do you have any knowledge of uh, the government coming in there and helping you develop the products your company sells or the services you provide? I mean, this is, this is not normal capitalism okay this is capitalism this is crony capitalism this doesn't have anything to do with markets or capitalism and we all need to start you know defending capitalism and explaining it in a way that people see the distinction between what moderna does to earn a, earn profit in the market versus what you know most of us the companies we work for and what they do to earn money in the market. They're very different things, very, very different things. And to sit there and have outrage about these billionaires and how much they make or what they're doing, I mean, it, it's just envy is all it is. It, is. it doesn't have any bearing on the problem at hand. So uh, the problem at hand is the alliance between these companies and government. Because here's the thing, they extract taxes from you, but they don't ask you where you want to spend the money. They just spend it. So if they want to, if, if the if the people in power want to go wage a war somewhere, then they spend the money there. If they want to invest in a bunch of money uh, with a company like Moderna to create a vaccine uh, for something that they created in a lab, then they're going to spend the money there. And by the way, they spent money in the lab too. So, you know, this is why we we have to break this alliance with these companies. The government without companies, if companies just said no they wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff. They wouldn't be able to take our tax money and invest it in these ways. So I think Amy Goodman and this guy, John Nichols are just way, way off base. But I think that the conversation is informative because the, the actual reasons they give for their outrage are, are the very things that are the problem. And they give it, they give them as reasons of why, we should have more oversight or there should be more accountability with corporations. But I think it's interesting that no, those reasons are why we need to separate, you know, this, this alliance between corporations and, um, and government entities. That's exactly right. And, and in fact, uh, president Biden has certainly done a better job than Donald Trump. There's no question of that, but he has not begun uh, to go to the, the levels that he should and nor has Congress. On, on forcing these companies, which took tremendous uh, advantage of the moment, and which frankly got tremendous amounts of support from the U.S. government, literally uh, 
numbering in the in the tens of billions of dollars in support and contracts uh, to show some sort of responsibility. This is not a new concept. In the past, we have had pharmaceutical companies that that bent to the reality, uh, either by by pressure from government or or essentially some sort of moral uh, instinct that that they cannot take these sorts of excess profits in a moment like this. So it's a little bit more of the same. But then you know he talks about force. You know he talks about well. First of all, he makes it political. He says, "Well, Joe Biden's doing better than Trump," but he I, he doesn't really say what he's talking about there. Um, but the other thing he starts talking about is force. You know, he wants to force the companies or force them to bend a knee, or this is kind of terminology he uses. And and this is, you know. I'm not, I'm not a fan of this at all. I mean, we should not be forcing companies to do anything. What we should be doing is making it so that there's no way that a company, there's no, there's nothing in their benefit to go to the government to get any kind of help. Okay. Because here's the problem. The the big problem is, I mean, all these people want to talk about equity and equality and stuff like that. But if you're a, if you're a small business, I mean, let's say a medium sized business, let's say you're a $50 million business and you're out scrapping away in the marketplace. Okay. And, and your competitor, let's say is a billion dollar business, you know, and you're, and you're trying to earn your keep in the marketplace, but the competitor can go to the government and get tax breaks, can get favor somehow in the marketplace. How is that fair to you. I mean, you're, you're not getting anything from the government. So the only way to really make this fair and the only way to, the, to make it, you know, so that it benefits everybody without anybody getting a leg up is to separate companies from uh, the government. And the only way you can do that is by creating laws that they can't exploit. So the tax system is a huge exploitation tool for the government. They use the tax system to create these little gaps where they can go twist companies' arms to do this or that for them. And then, hey, you know, if you donate to my my uh, campaign, you know, I, I'll make it, I'll get you an exemption or whatever. I mean, this is kind of the quid pro quo that takes place between government and corporations. And this is the real evil, okay? It's not billionaires. And he you know, it's just, that's just billionaire hate. I mean, it really is all that is. It's, it's really not productive. First of all, it's, it's, he's focused on the wrong target. But secondly, it's just not even productive. It doesn't get us anywhere. And the fact that Jeff Bezos is worth, a, you know, $900 billion has no impact on me. In, in fact, any, if anything, it's benefited me. I can sit here at my home. I click on a few things on his website and stuff shows up at my door. That's a huge benefit to me, not a, not a harm. The harm is coming from the government side. And the, the quicker we can all see that, the better we can all see that, the, better we can, the quicker we can get to solving the real problem instead of talking about envy and this kind of stuff and force, you know, forcing companies to do this and forcing companies to do that. And and you did mention also a moment ago billionaires, and it's important to understand that you know, thanks to the work of the Institute for Policy Studies and Americans for Tax Fairness and others, we we now know that uh, during the course of this pandemic, billionaires have exponentially increased their wealth. And some of these are are folks 
associated with the pharmaceutical industry, but across all industries to the point where, you know, the number of billionaires increased from, and this is a study from last year, from 614 in the United States to 745, and that their, their increase in wealth during the course of the year, uh, you know, took them you know, literally into the trillions of dollars of, of advanced uh, wealth for these individuals. Okay, so the number of billionaires went from 614 to 745. How does that harm me? What does that do to me? Nothing. That has nothing to do with me. That has no impact on me negatively whatsoever. Uh, none of those billionaires are coming over to me and saying, you must buy my product or you must buy my service. They're just not doing it. So I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about, however, is competing in the marketplace against companies that have the full force and weight of the government behind them. Let me give you an anecdotal story. Years ago, uh, everybody knows what wireless is, but there's also something called industrial wireless. And early, early in the days of industrial wireless, I was working with somebody, and they seemed to be really far ahead in this industrial wireless space. And I asked this guy, I said, man, how did you, how did you learn all this? How did you get going on this? He, oh, well, I used to work for Honeywell, and Honeywell got a big contract with uh, the Defense Department to develop some wireless stuff that they did for the military. And, you know, that's what's enabled us to really move into the marketplace. Now, I was working in a marketplace that has nothing to do with the military, okay? <laughs> in fact, it's, it, it just, it's just industrial chemical production, refining, things like that. But this guy was telling me that he basically worked for a company that got a jump start on the rest of the market because of stuff they were doing in the military. And then he was, he was basically advantaging himself based on that. And I, here I am having to compete with that in, with a company and in, in technology that didn't get that support. So this is the problem for most of us. Now, we don't see it because we're not necessarily on the front lines you know, selling these products. But I, I think I've made my point here about the criticism. You know, If you're going to criticize something, you need to make sure you're criticizing the right thing because you can go down these rabbit holes like this guy John Nichols did along with Amy Goodman. And you know they've talked for a long time here and have literally not accomplished anything other than stirring people up about billionaires and trillionaires or whatever. And so, and I, you know, let me, let me just say also that I think these entrepreneurs are super important to our way of life, the way of life that you experience. And I've made this point before too, you know, when people start talking about China and how concerned they are about China, China is a, fundamentally not a free society and free societies produce entrepreneurs because there's an incentive to take your ideas and, and bring them to the market. In China, they don't have that same kind of culture. And I think to the extent that we can exploit our freedom here, I, I think entrepreneurs are, are very important to our society, our, our standard of living, um, the development of society going forward, not just for this country, but for the whole world. And to sit here and criticize billionaires for the sake of being a billionaire is just dumb and, and potentially harmful.
Um, I think we need to foster um, that sense of freedom so that we can pop out more entrepreneurs. Now, some of these entrepreneurs are going to fail, and that's fine. It's not going to harm you or me, but we need to have an environment where people feel comfortable um, pursuing their dream so that we can all benefit. I mean, that's that's really the the genius of our free market system. So with that, I, I don't think we're going to play any more of the democracy now. We're running kind of long, and, and really it's just more of the same. They talk about Jeff Bezos might be the first trillionaire. Okay, you know, I don't know. I don't know how that harms me, but um, but I think I think I've made the point that you know it's important when you criticize that you criticize correctly and you cr- criticize the right things and you don't lead people, you know, onto a witch hunt that really doesn't. One, it doesn't. It's not correct, and two, it may not lead any. It may not produce any results. So. Well, look, that's about it for today. Uh, for who gets to decide, I appreciate you coming in. You know, continue to share the show if you would, please, and tell your friends about it. Uh, hit the share button on your on your podcaster, and you can just text it to them, and maybe they'll keep listening, and that'd be great. Just um, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of interesting things to talk about here on the show, and um, and not just get into the same Republican Democrat kind of dichotomy that really leads nowhere and doesn't really get people to think critically about, you know, these underlying issues uh, facing our society. So keep coming back and I'll keep producing content until next time. Who gets to decide?